Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's February 17th, 1870. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that MPs gathered at the House of Commons to propose implementing a tough new law. You must go to school unless you live quite far from the school or you're over the age of 10 or your local authority (laughs) would rather you didn't leave your job on the farm. Because actually the Education Act of 1870 would prove to be a pretty toothless law. But isn't it extraordinary that it took so long for what we would think of as a a faintly modern education policy, i.e. everyone deserves an education of some kind, to be discussed in the House of Commons. Uh, The modern history of education policy actually started in Prussia in 1763, if you want to go back to the earliest example of compulsory education. But I think the real kind of domino effect that was spurring the Brits on was America. And the guy who was leading the bill, William Edward Forster, it's funny to read his commentary on what's going on in the States, because he is there saying, we really do need to to make, uh, you know, well, A, spread schooling so that it's everywhere and everyone has access to it, but also B, make sure that people turn up. And he's saying, you know, look at America, they have just made it compulsory. Admittedly, though, their version of it is almost completely toothless. And so when we set it up, we may want to actually have some sort of both carrot and stick. He wanted to give the the stick of some sort of punishment, but also a carrot in the form of a diploma. Yeah, and his comments sort of touch upon the reason that it hadn't happened before, which wasn't so much that there was a lack of access to schools you know it was it wasn't unified but there was a patchwork of charity schools and what were called dame schools which are would usually be a sort of middle-aged widow who would teach village children for a small fee in her own home it was more the lack of demand and the lack of demand came from the fact that for most families however they felt about education having their children working as part of the labor force was an economic necessity there was no getting around it most families simply couldn't afford to not have their children working there was also opposition politically as well on the basis of This is going to cost us too much money, just like there were with public sewers and banning child labour itself. All these things that feel like they must have been around for ages, but actually weren't. There were those in Parliament who thought that free education for all would be a complete non-starter because they saw it as against their self-interest, frankly, or because they thought that state intervention on that level of finance was undesirable or impossible to achieve. And actually, that's why it wasn't free for all to begin with. Mm-hmm. He actually defends in presenting this bill to the to the Houses of Parliament that parents should still pay for it if they can. And that was actually part of what made the bill quite controversial, which was that although there had previously been demand for a unified school system throughout England and Wales, the main obstacle was the controversial issue of giving state funding to C of E schools. There were already a network mm. of Church of England schools that would have needed to be brought in to this unified system. And so the non-conformist MPs didn't want any funding to go to them. So to placate them, the bill said that these new New state schools would only teach a non-denominational version of Christianity, which was very disappointing to the Prime Minister, William Gladstone. He was a very, very staunch Anglican. 
The guy who led the amendment was called Cooper Temple, and he suggested that basically schools just teach the Bible and a few hymns. You're like, so that's the way that you water it down by teaching the entire Bible. (laughs) That's still quite a lot of content right there. Um, But even despite this provision, it caused a massive split in the Liberal Party, who was the party in power at the time, and it cost them the next election. And that's despite the fact that on this day, Forster starts his presentation by saying this shouldn't be a party matter. This is no longer something that should be divided along party lines. And he had some traction there as well because he was an industrialist. And this is the other thing. It wasn't a sort of bleeding heart thing, oh, we should make sure that the poor children in Liverpool who receive no education whatsoever get something for their own good. It was so that they can go and work in a factory, (laughs) work in a factory with more knowledge and with more vocation, because at the moment we're just sending them up chimneys without a degree. This way, you know, they can run the factories and we we will solidify and consolidate our place as one of the leading industrial nations in the world. And there was a kind of moral dimension to it as well. You know, we know that this era of English history uh, pretty much was moralising on all fronts. But there was this idea that too many children out of school would lead to an immoral populace. And the stats are astonishing. Forster actually lays out how many kids are in and out of school. There's 700,000 kids aged 6 to 10 in school for a million who are out of school. And ages 10 to 12, there's 250,000 in school for 500,000 who are out of school. Yeah, it was a confluence of so many factors. There was the religious aspect, the Victorian morality wanting all children to be able to read the Bible. There was the empire was basically at its peak at this point. That was providing opportunities to a lot of poorer children who might not have had the opportunity before to rise in the world as colonial administrators. There was also the 1867 Reform Act, which enfranchised some lower class men, although not all, which led to more fears like now they've got the vote, they at least they have to be educated in order to use it wisely. And then fears that Britain <laughs> would fall behind these other developing nations. As you mentioned, Prussia was leading the way in Europe. And then, of course, we always like to compare ourselves to what's going on across the Atlantic, don't like to feel like we're falling behind Americans. So it was just all of these factors coming together at the exact right time. Well, there was one One thing that Britain did have, I think, on the United States, uh, which was, well, to quote Forster, in making public provision for elementary schools, we hold that they ought not to be schools from which the public would be excluded, Mm -hmm. which seems so obvious, it's barely (laughs) worth stating. But of course, wasn't the case in America until the second half of the 20th century because you had racial segregation. Yeah, there's this astonishing bit as well where he says, he's talking about trying to set the schools up and he says, I believe that the country demands from us that we should try to do at least two things, namely to cover the country with good schools and then to get parents to send their children to these schools. I'm aware indeed that to hope to arrive at these two results may be thought utopian. I was like... (laughs) <laughs> Holy moly, they, they think it's some sort of utopia, particularly now that there are schools all over the country and it is completely compulsory for everyone to be in those schools and every school kid grumbles about having to go to school. You know, you're like, oh, this is the utopia that he was imagining and now kids are just like, oh, sucks. <laughs> and a utopia that, like I said, is worth underlining is about training people for jobs. This is a report from James Bryce from 1895, which reads like something I think some modern-day Tories would still be very keen on. Primary education, quote, awakened the mind by teaching the child the rudiments, fine. Then secondary education taught children to apply the principles to their anticipated trade. Quote, dye wool, weave cloth, design or construct a machine, navigate a ship 
or command an army. Wow. Can you imagine the teachers being like, look, year six, the jump from the wool dyeing you've been doing in junior school to the dyeing <laughs> yeah. that you're going to be doing in senior school is very big, so you have to be prepared. Until the sort of 1600s, the idea that the common boy or girl required any level of formal schooling was not universally accepted at all. You know, basic mm. reading and writing might be useful if you were the son of a tradesman or a craftsman who might run their own business someday. But the idea that being educated was good in and of itself wasn't particularly common at all. It didn't really start to change until the Protestant Reformation, when suddenly there was this idea that every Christian had a duty to read and understand the Bible, mostly in their own language. You know, previously, Catholic priests were, were in charge of interpreting the Latin Bible f on behalf of their parishioners. So this religious imperative gave intrinsic value to the ability to read, although, interestingly, not the ability to write. In a lot of schools mm. until the Victorian era, reading and writing were considered completely separate disciplines and were taught well, separately. Mm. So you'd have schools where you might just learn to read and you might never learn to write. It wasn't an immediate hit, this, though. I mean, Parliament did ultimately back it. Uh, and, you know, there did become schools funded by the state. But there were many teething problems, not least because it's not as if children stopped working at that point. So the families that depended on their children to have a job just made them work outside school hours. Mm. So, in fact, in a sense, what the government had done is uh, increase the hours of their working day yeah. because they, they'd be at school between nine and three and then go and do their factory job. I found a weird statistic, which was that there were 11,000 day schools in 1870 and 2,000 night schools. And I was like, what right. is a night school? It, but it must be exactly that. It was schools set up for those children who wanted an education but couldn't attend during the day. And as late as the 1930s, we were still at a situation where only 38% of 14-year-olds were enrolled hmm. in compulsory education and only 4% of 17-year-olds. I mean, I know 17 then was seen as being older than it is now and there were wars to fight. Nonetheless, that is living yeah. memory, isn't it? That's my, my grandmother was at primary school then. And a lot of that was rooted in a reluctance to compel parents to send their children to school at the state level. Like, in terms of what the 1870 Education Act actually mandated, it gave local education boards the responsibility to set up enough schools to provide places for everyone in their district. But the power was completely concentrated in those individual boards. So they had the right to compel attendance, but they also had the right to not compel attendance so for instance schools in rural areas tended to turn a blind eye for you know seasonal absences so that children could participate in farm work it would be a long process to which we would come to accept the government telling us at that top level you absolutely have to do it and there will be legal consequences if you don't but ultimately we got to a position like we are today with the education budget at around 90 billion pounds and <laughs> all of us excellent at commanding armies and navies <laughs> so well done the victorians we all know how to wool die tomorrow he was actually plotting to <laughs> genuinely kill and or usurp him love the show support the show patreon.com slash retrospectors part of the acast creator network planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.